And a good morning to you. Grab a cup of coffee and a croissant and uh, listen to this great show that we've got for you this morning. The Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you each week by Mizuno Golf. Reach beyond by Palms. Become a member and enjoy the miracle practice facility unlike any other. By Club Car, the global leader in golf utility and fun personal vehicles. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our communities. And by Bridgestone Golf. Check out the new Tour B golf balls. On the show today, we're going to talk with Coastal Georgia's golf coach, Mike Cook, about the tournament February 11th at Sea Palms to benefit the golf teams. Then John Wade, director of golf at Ocean Forest, will give us a sneak peek into the Jones Cup Invitational, which will be played at Ocean Forest February 3rd through the 6th. And Diana DeLucia, author and founder of Golf Kitchen, will talk about what is Golf Kitchen. Diana will also tell us about how to get their publication. And then finally, we'll talk golf and some other things with NBC's Jimmy Roberts. But first up, Coastal Georgia's golf coach Mike Cook about their fundraiser for the golf teams at Palms on February 11th. We're hosting our fundraiser for our men's and women's golf team at Coastal Georgia. And it's going to be played at Palms on February the 11th. That's a Friday. Um, and we're going to have uh, Jimmy Johns is going to uh, provide us lunch. Uh, we're going to have a clinic, or a putting clinic with Sea Islands on uh, David Angelotti. He's a uh, putting expert, teaches only putting. Uh, he's going to do a clinic at 10 for the participants. I'll be doing a clinic, uh, excuse me, 12 o'clock clinic. I'll be doing a clinic at 12 also in chipping, so we're going to provide that. Uh, it's a 1 o'clock shotgun start. Uh, a scramble format, straight scramble, easy format, uh, fun format. Yeah, participants will get to meet the, all the college players on each team, men's and women's team. They'll be out on the course hitting some mulligan shots for them. Oh, that's good. That's everybody good. might need. Everybody will need those. Yeah, doing some mulligans, yeah. uh, free mulligan shots, I guess you'd call it. Uh, they'll get to meet the coaches and uh, athletic director. It's, it's, it's a great, great thing, and uh, we need players. We, 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 uh, we have some teams signed up. We need to, need to get more teams, and uh, if you're interested, uh, <clears throat> you may go on, on, online at www.ccga.edu slash golf challenge www.ccga.edu slash golf challenge or you may uh, you may email Valerie uh, Every she's uh, Val Every she is uh, uh, running this this for us and her email is v-e-v-e-r-y that's v is in victory v-e-v-e-r-y at ccga.edu uh, if, if you don't remember any of that, just call the athletic department at, at Coastal Georgia. But, All right, and Coach, let's talk about what the purpose of this Mariners Challenge. It's to help fund both the golf and the women's golf team. And what do you do with the money that you brought in? Well, this money uh, helps us travel, our travel expenses, because we... Uh, this golf is unlike uh, a basketball or volleyball where you play half the... 
games at home and half on the road so only half the time they're traveling but we we have to travel 90 percent of the time we'll host we'll host one or two tournaments here in glenn county but 90 percent of our events we have to travel to play in their tournaments 15 teams and the national tournament we play in every year that's in iowa and that that's a big trip for us so this money goes helps us with travel expenses which which is pretty costly and this being the third annual Mariners Golf Challenge, some of your alumni will be there, the current players. How is the team look this year for you? Well, we still have a strong team. We, uh, we finished the fall season uh, ranked seventh after the season. We were seventh in the nation. Uh, last year, we, we finished seventh at the national championship. And, and I think that's about where we should be ranked uh, they're, they're the team that's at the top is a, is a powerhouse team, so we we got a long way to go to, to catch them. But uh, we have some young players that are that are producing for us. We have a freshman, Thomas Henderson, a local kid, went to Frederica. Thomas is doing well for us. We have some sophomores. Marcus uh, Reynolds is a sophomore. Uh, is playing well for us. We have two seniors. Uh, I call them COVID seniors. It's our fifth year. Uh, Chip Thompson and Jackson Lawler. So we're we're pretty stout on paper. We just we just have to execute better. That is Coastal Georgia's coach Mike Cook talking about their fundraiser for the golf team at Sea Palms on February 11th. Speaking of another big tournament, the Jones Cup Invitational is February 3rd through 6th at Ocean Forest, and we have the director of golf at Ocean Forest, John Wade, with us. Good morning, John. Thanks for being with us this morning. Good morning, Rich. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you. So tell us a little bit about the Jones Cup coming up. So <clears throat> you mentioned the dates, February 3rd through 6th. This is the 18th uh, playing of the Jones Cup, which originally uh, started as a Walker Cup preview. Uh, it was The tournament would take place every other year. The momentum uh, and the the experience that the players were getting, it was a pretty easy transition to go to uh, every year, and it's been that way probably for the last, say, 10 years or so. And um, we have, quite frankly, best amateurs uh, in the world come. We'll have 12 different countries represented. Wow. Uh, we'll have many of the top 100 amateurs in the world, as long as their colleges are not playing in a tournament or something. And, um, it's just, it's just you're seeing future PGA Tour stars. And what's on the line at the Jones Cup? I mean, it's a big tournament. Um, I've been there a couple times volunteering. I mean, these kids, they're really not kids, but they can really, really play this game. Well, as I mentioned, they, these young men, um, their expectations are, are very high in their, in their golfing um, life, if you will, Many are aspiring PGA Tour professionals. Currently, a number of them are vying if they are a member of the United States or, or Great Britain and Ireland, are vying for vital uh, Walker Cup points. Um, the, big, the big thing that, that carries probably more weight than anything is if you can win the Jones Cup and you remain an amateur, you get a spot, a spot in the RSM Classic uh, in the fall of the year. And now with the PGA Tour University point system for these college players, they, um, they get 
a tremendous amount of points towards that ranking when they play in a tour event. Well, you finish on the top ten of that list, now all of a sudden you have conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour right out of college. So there's a lot on the line, whether it be a Walker Cup, whether it be just world ranking points, and then certainly a PGA Tour exemption. And how many players, John, are going to be in the tournament? 84 players will tee off. And you said they're from 12 different countries, and you had a qualifier a couple days ago, and I think three people got in. That's correct. We, we, do, we, we do have a, a qualifier each year. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get into the event. Quite frankly, you've got to win uh, to get in, and your, or your points have to be pretty high. But, you know, a very fair thing to do is have a qualifier for those that may be just out of the exemption list. Uh, we had five players shoot one under par on the plantation course at Sea Island Golf Club um, in just brutal conditions. It must have been blowing 25. Yeah, it was a rough day. And um, five played for three spots. Uh, we played uh, number 10 a couple of times, and we've got our three players. So, Well, it's a great tournament. Uh, I'm hoping that the weather in a couple of weeks is going to be uh, worthy of the kind of golf that these guys can play. But I've also, a couple of years, I know no, it was last year when I volunteered, it was not great weather, but under par still won the tournament. Yeah, you know, you know, Rich, uh, I don't, they say, you know, any pub is, is, is good pub. It's be, kind of become our stick out there that at least one day is just absolutely and, um, But that's okay. That's the night that we always serve the players steak and lobster. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of brings them back around. But, yeah, we, you know, we, we want a good test of golf, we, and, and, and Ocean Forest certainly gives them that. But they will have to deal with weather minimum one day. I think last year it was like 58 degrees on the very first day and kind of sunny, and we had a numerous players on the par, and we had Alex Fitzpatrick from Wake Forest, who's scheduled to come back this year, shoot a competitive course record of 64. On the day two, it started raining sideways. It was about 40 degrees and yep. blowing out of the north about 20. He shoots 77 and still had the lead. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, the conditions were uh, not great, but uh, the golfers did play some good golf. And by the way, um, I guess it's too late for me to see if my invitation's in the mail. Maybe this year, but I've made a note next year, Rich. Yeah, I'll bet I can understand what that note is. Don't send this. <laughs> <laughs> John, thanks for being with us, and good luck in the uh, tournament coming up. Uh, thank you so much. appreciate all you do for, um, for our area of the country. I appreciate it. John Wade, Director of Golf at Ocean Forest, talking about the Jones Cup coming up February 3rd through 6th at Ocean Forest. Next up, we're going to talk Golf Kitchen with Diane DeLucia. Coming up next on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Hi, this is Davis Love III, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Back, I'm Rich Stiles. Glad you're with us. Our next guest is the author and founder of Golf Kitchen. Good morning, Diana, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. How are you? Ah, uh, good. It's bright and early on a Saturday morning, so I've had my coffee and I'm ready to go. Well, I've had my cup as well. So first off, our listeners may not be familiar with what is Golf Kitchen. 
Golf Kitchen is, I started this project in 2010 at Sabonic Golf Club in Southampton. And that was a project surrounding um, the private club industry as a whole, like from all the people that make golf happen. And I traveled to 12 clubs around the world and everybody loved the food section. So um, we had recipes and things like that. That book sold out in 2013. And then the culinary side was getting a lot of attention. And that was when I produced uh, Golf Kitchen, the book, ah, okay. which is a 568-page, wow. um, 5.7-pound coffee table book. <laughs> and that was uh, launched at Winged Foot Golf Club in 2016. Then we had another book launch in 2017 at Cacique at Kiowa. And it was at that event that the magazine, um, the idea for a magazine um, showcasing the uh, industry's culinary pioneers. Um, and we're now in our fifth year. This is actually our fifth year of the magazine, the Golf Kitchen magazine. So as the founder, what inspired you or brought you to the point of starting Golf Kitchen, doing the book, doing the magazine? Well, I had a magazine that I was part owner in New York City in the 2000s called New York Restaurant Insider. And we pretty much covered every famous chef that was in the city from Thomas Keller to Daniel Ballou and Eric Repair and so forth and so forth. And then in the recession, we closed that publication and I wanted to write a book and I was looking for areas where um, chefs weren't being highlighted at all, but I knew they would have to have um, culinary prowess to be working at some of these amazing properties because the members can really eat anywhere they want in the world. So they are not going to have a chef that doesn't know what they're doing. So I did some research and found some properties that really cared about um, what we were doing. And it went from there. And it was very difficult at the beginning because nobody could relate um, golf and, and food. It was very challenging um, private clubs didn't want anyone to see what they were doing on the culinary mm. side or anything. So there was a lot of rejection, a lot of, you know, laughing and making fun of and all of those kinds of things. But, you know, I kept going because I believed in it and I had a lot of clubs globally that believed in it. And I've traveled to 48 countries in 12 years and numerous properties and I've covered pretty much the history of, um, the pioneers in the industry for the last 12 years and it's come a long way it really has and you know golfers do want good food and at these private clubs they really want to have excellent food that's well prepared um and i mean it's a great idea uh obviously it's been received very well yeah it has uh it wasn't initially it definitely wasn't i had to go through a lot of rejection Right. But I just, okay, let's just keep going. And then, you know, from the magazine, which is in its fifth year, uh, we're adding a wine program and we're also announcing our new wine critic and wine reviewer uh, next week. And that's going to be really exciting. We added the Golf Kitchen Culinary Excellence Awards with my partner club, Glen Arbor Golf Club in Bedford Hills. We're in our fourth year this year of that event, and we have a great lineup of chefs cooking at that event. Um, and we also, for the first time, have the Golf Kitchen Invitational, 
which is attached to the Golf Kitchen Culinary Excellence Awards. And this is our first invitational, and I'm really excited about that. So how will that work? How will the Golf Kitchen Invitational work? Uh, it's an invitational, and I don't have the format yet from the club because okay. we just literally announced it. Um, it. The invitations will be going out, um, but I'm not the golf expert, so I will relay that to if you talk to the organizers of the golf tournament. Okay, okay. And you and I talked briefly this week about that many clubs and many restaurants, fine restaurants, uh, the Fern Barn restaurant, so to speak, are really in a crunch as far as staff shortages. Yeah, there's a huge staff shortage in the industry as a whole across the country and likely across the planet, the whole planet, um, in pri the private club industry. And, you know, there was a bunch of H2B visas that went out. They were nowhere near enough because the American children and students don't realize that there's a really good culinary career path in the private golf and country club space if they care to you know do some research but they're just not aware of it they still think that golf is you know hamburgers and hot dogs right and old people playing golf they don't right. realize there's this culinary career path and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to highlight that culinary career path and what are some of the potential solutions to this well, I'm trying to team up with some uh, with one of the big culinary schools. I can't mention the name yet because we're in talks with them at the moment. I'm hoping we can get that off the ground next week. Uh, and, you know, as, a, as an industry as a whole, it can't just be one club working to try to solve that problem. It has to be an industry-wide situation right. that needs to be addressed. Otherwise, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better because... It, it's just an ongoing problem because the restaurant situation, the kids don't want to work in a restaurant anymore. It's There's not enough money to be made in the restaurant industry. And there's a whole growth pattern in golf during this pandemic, which has also caused the problem because they have more memberships, waiting lists all over the place for right. clubs and real estate. And I think, you know, it has to be industry-wide and there has to be some conference or something like that with young people and that's why i'm featuring hannah from meisner country club she's 30 years old she's a very talented young chef she'll be cooking at the golf kitchen culinary excellence awards um, and we'll be showcasing in 2022 um, the 10 of the greatest chefs in the industry um, under 40 and then we're going to be showcasing young people at the Golf Kitchen Culinary Excellence Awards. And every chef cooking, apart from the host chef, Michael Ruggiero, is under 40. And I, they're very talented and very skilled. And we really want to showcase that. And if we can get the culinary school behind us, and we've got it 12 years of history, I believe that we can do some changes, but at the same time, the industry as a whole has to really step up right. to solve their own problem. Right. right. They've got so, to get behind it, realize there's an issue, and do something too strong in order to get it back. Yeah, they have to team up. It's not going to work just right. one club trying. It right. just needs to be countrywide, so how if can not our, internationally. Yeah, so how can our listeners subscribe to your publication? 
they can go to golfkitchen.com and there's a subscription button at the top um, or they can click on the you know the three little squares on the corner of your cell phone the, you know the little lines and then find subscribe um, and it's in a few positions there's two issues a year they're very expensive to produce they're very glossy great paper and very good content we do long form stories we don't do short stories we do 36 pages per property plus with lots of recipes and wine pairings and cocktail matches and things like that so where you are now where you want to go what's in the future for golf kitchen where would you like it to go i want to go we are want to go and it's my goal to go international we're talking to a lot of properties overseas about this thinking about expanding the awards and the wine program award particularly um, the wine review program is specifically targeted at private clubs it is not targeted at any other industry it's private golf and country clubs gotcha and we're getting a lot of conversations from uh, international vintners in Italy and France and places like that. And I think that has got legs. Um, taking the awards and having a pro-am that's on the table that we can't get the pro-am off the ground until this COVID thing is done because it's right. international. Right. And we are in talks with um, some tourism bureaus that are interested in hosting it. But it's really challenging in the pandemic to really have a solid international location at the moment. Sure. Well, Diana, thank you for taking time to talk to us about Golf Kitchen, uh, giving us more information. Uh, I just appreciate it and hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Diana DeLucia with uh, Golf Kitchen, uh, talking about what we can do to uh, improve and get more people involved especially chefs. So thank you for being with us. Next up, NBC's Jimmy Roberts. And you know, we're just talking about food, but sometimes the decision to go out to eat or take home gets confusing. There's so many choices, but we want to make it simple for you. It's CJ's Italian restaurant for the best deep dish pizza in South Georgia. I think anywhere you've got to go to CJ's. CJ's also has the thin crust pizza with doughs made fresh daily plus homemade meatballs, a variety of crisp salads, homemade dressings, breadsticks, and their famous hoagies and pasta with CJ's own sauces. Mouth-watering desserts, too. Gluten-free pizza also available with a new Southern Soul barbecue sauce that is just absolutely delicious. Visit the oldest operating pizza place on St. Simons Island, CJ's across the street from Parker's in the Pier Village. Take out or dine in at CJ's. And that's all you need to know. Check out their website, and you can go in and see Graham and Ada and their friendly staff, but check out the menu at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Hi, I'm Dottie Pepper with CBS Sports, and you are listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Our next guest is NBC's Jimmy Roberts, winner of 13 Emmys. Good morning, Jimmy, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning. How are you today? I am wonderful. How are you? Everything is good here. Probably a little bit chillier where I am than where you are, but everything's good. Well, I am so glad about that. You have covered sports for many years for various networks. Uh, which sport is your favorite as far as covering? <clears throat> well, I mean, I'd have to say that uh, I'm very, very connected to golf, but I think as a fan, 
I think as a fan, my favorite sport is college football. Ah, okay. I agree with that. And well, yeah, I just um, I love college football, and I just think um, you know I think there's a lot about it. I think that in this these days of expansion, you know, where there's more and more and more of everything, I think that every Saturday matters in college football. And I think we're moving towards a place where we may be about to ruin that. You know, with uh, I, I do not happen to be a fan of the college football playoff expansion to the degree that they're talking about. Love the college football playoff. I, I'd like to see it expand a little bit, but I think, um, you know, this past year they talked about taking it to 12 teams, and I just think that's a, just a tremendous mistake. I think it's all about... I think it's mostly about money, and I think that's a shame. I think that, um, you know, one of the reasons why they've kind of arrived at a point where they can't agree on something is because everybody wants something. All the, you know, all the constituencies want something from it, you know, and so right. it becomes about a guarantee that every, um, every conference will be represented. And my attitude is, well, Maybe every conference shouldn't be represented. Yeah. You know, it's a meritocracy. I mean, it's all about who's the best. I don't think that, you know, the Big 12 or the ACC or the, you know, or the Pac-12 should necessarily be represented if they don't, you know, if they aren't the best. And, and I just think, um, you know, there's so much money at stake. Yeah. And I, I just think, anyway, this is yep. a golf show. It's not a college football. Yep, I agree. I agree. There's too many bowl games anyway. So, all right, let's uh, let's talk about your book. I was very intrigued, uh, Breaking the Slump, and you kind of talked about the struggles of many famous golfers. Um, how did you decide to come up with that, and how were the pros that you talked to receptive to you talking about how do you get out of the struggles? Well, um, so the way I came up with that uh, was that I had been working with a literary agent who had come to me and wanted me to, you know, suggested that I uh, maybe might want to write a book. And it was really important to come up with the right idea, obviously. And I, I remember vividly that I was sitting in a parking lot. It was a rainy day in, uh, in Yonkers, New York. And I was sitting in a parking lot, and I had been giving a lot of thought to what I might write about. And it just hit me like a bolt of lightning, which was that, you know, it's universal, the whole idea of struggling in golf. I mean, I, I like to say that there are two types of golfers in this world. There are those who've had a slump, and there are those who are going to have a slump. And, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are. It's just a matter of degree to the most part. You know, Jack Nicklaus and I share a common characteristic. We, we both struggle, only when it's just a matter of how much we struggle. When Jack struggles, he hits, he, excuse me, when Jack struggles, he loses the ball to the left. When I struggle, I lose the ball. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so that became the... Uh, the thesis for the book, and it became a 20-chapter book, uh, eight, uh, a prologue and an epilogue surrounded uh, that 
sandwiched 18 chapters, each basically a profile of a different player who had struggled in his or her uh, golf, uh, competitive golf, and then come back from it. And I was really fortunate that I had a lot of the world's best players work with me and even one former president, George Bush, uh, George Bush, excuse me, uh, 41, did a chapter with me. Arnold Palmer did a chapter with me. Greg Norman, Jack Nicholas, Ben Crenshaw, Davis Love, uh, Dan Jansen, Olympic speed skater, mm. who's married to a great golf teacher himself, Karen Palacios Jansen. He did a chapter with me. He loves the game of golf. But, you know, getting back to it, it's universal. And it was, uh, it was fantastic because, you know, there was so much to be gleaned. And there wasn't one common thing, you know, that they all talked about. And that was, that was the thing that kind of intrigued me, was that they each had their own prescription for how they kind of pulled themselves out of a, a slump, and um, I really, really enjoyed writing it. Of course, that was a few years ago. I actually just did another book that uh, came out a couple months ago now with uh, Mark Messier, the uh, Hall of Fame hockey player who uh, lives down in your area. And um, But that was about leadership. And so anyway, I enjoy writing, but uh, like I said, a golf slump is something we can all relate to. You bet. And uh, how we come out of it is totally different than um, maybe how we thought we would come out of it. I mean, it's hard to come out of it. Mm. Yeah, it is. Um, I think back on some of the things that I was uh, told. And uh, I, one of the, my favorite stories came from Davis Love, whose father, Davis Jr., the Davis Love the Third is the Davis Love that we all know. Right. Obviously, great PGA Tour player, Ryder Cup captain. His father, some folks may not remember, Davis Love Jr., was a esteemed teaching professional and um, great player, played in the Masters. Anyway, Davis Jr. went to the University of Texas, where his college golf coach was the great Harvey Penick. Hmm. And um, one day, Davis Jr. was on the range down in Austin hitting some balls. And Harvey walked by, and he's watching him. And he, uh, he says to him, hey, Davis, uh, what club you got in your hand there? And Davis was hitting a seven iron. He says, Coach, I got seven iron here. I'm just trying to hit balls up onto that green. It's only uh, 150 yards away. He says, uh, he says Davis, I need you to hit me some five irons. He said, well, coach, it's 150 yards away. He says, Davis, I need you to hit me some five irons. And he said, well, coach, why is that? He said, because sometimes the answer in golf is to try less hard. But that's one of my favorites. Yeah, it really is. I mean, yeah. I mean, so that's a great thing. Um, But there's, you know, everybody had a different idea, and that was one of the things that that I love most about it. Well, you've interviewed – a lot of golfers over the years. What are a couple that stand out from the others, Jimmy? Well, let's see. Way back when I was with ESPN, uh, I remember interviewing Tiger Woods when he won the 1997 Masters. He didn't give out 
Uh, he only gave out the what the two interviews after he won. Uh, one to CBS and then one to uh, ESPN, which we used then the next morning on Good Morning America. That was uh, that was memorable. Uh, I remember back at the Masters and the year before interviewing Greg Norman after mm. his horrible collapse that last round. Yeah, I remember that. That was he was so candid and. Uh, Honest, it was uh, it was really memorable. Um, you know, there's a lot. I mean, there's been a lot, a lot of interviews over the years. Yeah, a lot of interviews. Yeah. Well, you talked earlier about your interview with uh, former President Bush, forty one. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was thrilling. So, um, well, he, uh, as I said, was was nice enough to have consented to work with me on a chapter for the book. So I, I spent a bunch of time with him and with his son, 43, uh, who at the time was actually the sitting president and was nice enough to invite me to the White House to talk about his dad. Hmm. And uh, so that was all very thrilling. But the way it all came about was it was uh, 1997 initially when I first met the president. And he, uh, the U.S. Open was at Congressional in Washington, and I wanted to do a story on the history of presidential golf, and a lot of them played at Congressional. So I had worked for a guy who at one point had worked in the Bush administration, so I reached out to him, and he put me in touch with the president's office, and I wrote a letter, because that's what we did back then. We wrote letters. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a letter to the president. Uh, to his staff and explaining that I wanted to do a story about golf and pre- and the presidency. And, you know, many of your listeners may know that uh, President Bush, his, both his father and grandfathers were presidents of the United States Golf Association. And um, he is, of course, George Herbert Walker Bush, and the Walker Cup was named after um, his folks. So, Anyway, I didn't uh, think much of it, and I got a phone call one day from the president's office, and they said, well, the president would uh, you know, be happy to do an interview with you, but he was wondering if you might uh, be able to come up to Kennebunkport, Maine, and uh, play golf with him. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I thought, yeah, I think I can probably make a <laughs> schedule for that. Yeah. So... Um, that became, um, you know, probably one of the, I would say, without thinking too much about it, one of the two or three most thrilling days of my professional life. Went up to Kennebunkport and played golf with President Bush. We had a great time. At the time, you know, at the time, I, I played great, shot my best round ever, um, and at the time, I've since bettered it, but shot my best round ever. President Bush signed the, the scorecard. He insisted that we play for a little something, so we played for a dollar. I took a dollar off the president. He signed huh. it. Um, I got a lovely, lovely, lovely note from him. We had some pictures. And, you know, I don't keep very much around the house from by way of, you know, memorabilia or mementos from 
the years that I've worked. I do have a box where I keep all my credentials that I've gotten over the years. But the one thing that I have hanging in my house, and it's my office, um, is I have a little, uh, what do they call it, a window box? Uh, you know, a yeah, yeah. lodge. It's got a picture of myself and the president playing golf that day. It's got uh, the note, the handwritten note that he wrote me. It's got the dollar and that he signed, and it's got the scorecard. Oh, cool. Signed also. So, anyway, that's how, that's how my relationship with him started. And when I, run it, when I wanted to write the book, when I intended to write the book, I reached out to him, and um, as I said, he was more than happy to help. And he, uh, he was great. He was great. So uh, it was an honor, and he was a, he was a great man. I you know, and I, it's not about politics. He was a great man. Yeah. He served this country in yeah. many many ways, and he was a decent man. We could use a we could use a dose of what George Herbert Walker Bush was about. So today, you betcha. Jimmy, we got to take a quick break. Hang on with us. We'll be back with more with Jimmy Roberts of NBC. But first, we want to talk to you about Mizuno Golf. They've always had the best irons in the game. The new JPX 921 series, which a lot of the pros and amateurs are playing. Uh, best feel, best performance to suit all skill levels. They've got a new driver that's coming out. They'll probably introduce it next month. Got a lot of new clubs coming out, but you can check out everything about Mizuno at MizunoGolf.com. Nothing feels like Mizuno, so reach beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Bob Jones IV. I'm the grandson of Bobby Jones, a clinical sports psychologist, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We're on the phone with uh, NBC's Jimmy Roberts. And uh, Jimmy, you've done all these interviews some of them have been unbelievable. Some of them have been eh, kind of difficult, depending upon who you were talking with. What is one of the hardest interviews, uh, or as us in the broadcasting business would say, worst interviews that happened? No, that's, uh, that's not hard to identify. I remember having to talk to Tiger Woods after, uh, what was it? I guess it was, 2000, I want to say probably 2001 at the Players. And he was kind of under siege at the time. And I guess that people were asking him a lot of questions. He wasn't playing the way that he wanted to play. And he wanted none of it. And um, it was just, uh, I remember how difficult it was. It just, uh, he was, it was, he at the time, uh, I think uh, it was just a difficult time for him. Anyway, it didn't turn out to be a very, very good interview. Let's just put it that way. All right. So who in the golf world would you like to talk with that you haven't? Well, um, presently, I'm not really sure. I mean, there's nobody really who's on my list. Uh, I think um, the one person who I wish I had, I wish I had met and gotten a chance to kind of learn about that I never did was Ben Hogan. Hmm. Um, I was fortunate enough to, oh, I, I won't pretend to say that I knew them well, but, you know, some of the, the late great players, I mean, Gene Sarazen and Sam Snead and Byron Nelson, I was fortunate enough to have met them. Um, but Hogan I never met, and 
I, I think that there's so there was so much about Hogan that was I don't know so mysterious. Yeah, you know he was. I mean, look, we're all unique, but I don't know. Just Ben Hogan seemed to be so different than everybody else, and and so. I hate to say so unique because that's really an inappropriate usage of the, the phrase, but it's probably the most accurate. I mean, you know, the, the old, the, I, I read this it was a joke. I don't think you'd characterize it that way, but Jimmy Demerit was one of Ben Hogan's best friends. And one, you know, Hogan was known for being kind of gruff, right. Um, un, unapproachable, yes. um, hardly warm. And, uh, Jimmy Demerit was one of his good friends, and Demerit once walked into a grill room, and Hogan was sitting at a table by himself. And Demerit, who was something of a character, says pretty loudly, "says Oh, look, there's Ben Hogan. He's sitting with all his friends." <laughs> and I, uh, I don't know. It's just he intrigues me. Yeah, I, you know, also because of how good he was and how. I mean, uh, how complicated his life was. You know, his father committed suicide, and, you know, he found him. Um, he struggled so terribly with the game of golf, almost to the point where he was going to give it up, only to become maybe, in some people's estimation, the greatest ball striker of all time. Um, you know, almost died in that horrific car accident with the yeah. bus and yeah. saved his his wife's life, you know, dived in front of her. Um, you know, there's just a lot to unpack when it comes to Ben Hogan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not to say that, you know, had I had an opportunity to meet him that we were going to become good friends or anything, but I just would have loved to have known what type of person he was. Yeah. You know, I'm, my wife always jokes with me. She says that I don't have conversations with people when I meet them, I interview them. And, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, he's, he's intriguing to me. He would have been a fascinating person to take the measure of. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. I mean, I've read many stories about him and, uh, you're right. He was known to be unapproachable at times. Uh, we've got about two minutes left and I do want to ask you about your wife's sister. She was in the towers at the world trade center, um, on nine 11. Do you mind talking about that, uh, with us? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, you know, just so grateful that she's here today yeah. and that she was one of the fortunate ones that got out. Very lucky. Um, and she was in the South tower and 50, think 56th floor, but the North tower got hit first. And she, um, you know, there was an announcement in the South tower. They said, uh, you know, it's okay. Everybody stay in place. Everything will be okay. It doesn't involve this building. And she just had a sense that that wasn't, Something about that didn't uh, compute, so she hit the stairwells and started walking down, and she was in the stairwells when the South Tower was hit, and, you know, we couldn't find her all day. There was mayhem in New York. Cell phones weren't working. and We've got about 30 seconds. get back Jimmy. to her apartment, so yeah. anyway, but she's good. And she she's made it. here, and God, God willing, she's here. Yep. That's great. That's a wonderful story, and I appreciate your time. You and I met when you were playing golf with the BMW guys. Quickly, how's your game? Uh, 
dormant for the time being. I'm <laughs> 12 degrees where I am right now, but I'm looking you. forward to playing. After the Olympic Games are over, I'll be playing. All right, Jimmy, thanks for being with us. Hope we can call on you again and have a great day. All the best. All right, thanks. Jimmy Roberts, NBC, worked with ABC, worked with ESPN. We want to thank you for being with us right here on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Heard every Saturday and Sunday right here at ESPNCoastal.com, on Facebook, and wherever you get your golf podcasts. Thanks for being with us.